All right. This morning we have uh, Chris Gonzalez to speak to us about um, depression, loneliness, isolation with seniors, um, kind of how to deal with that. Chris can tell you a lot more about him than I know, but he's a member here at Otter Creek. He is over the master's program in uh, social work. Is yeah, that right? Marriage and family therapy. Marriage and family therapy at Lipscomb. And um, I had asked him would he speak, and he said yes, he would be glad to do that. So I'm going to turn it over to him this morning. All and right. I've turned on the Okay, recorder. great. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Uh, getting <clears throat> the opportunity to speak to this crowd is, uh, is a treat. So thank you. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the topic is not really a pick-me-up, so uh, depression, isolation, loneliness. Um, so I'm going to see if I can make this good. Um, the, you know, what's more depressing than talking about depression? I don't know. Um, but I, I've got a few things I want to share uh, just in uh, maybe how to detect uh, depression, distinguish it from a few different things, um, and then talk a little bit about uh, just prevalence rates and maybe dispelling some myths about depression, and uh, and then talking about ways to uh, buffer against it, uh, to uh, be resilient against depression, and then some treatment options, um, and then I'll share my own uh, my own uh, depression resilience kit with you. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Paul was saying, you know, where, where, where'd I go to school? It's like, well, that's a long story. I, I have a PhD, so I kept going to school. Uh, I went to Harding University for undergraduate, got a degree in English education. Um, but after a couple years of teaching, realized what I love about my job is talking to my seventh graders between periods. I did not love teaching English. I thought, I think I'm in the wrong work. So then I went and got a master's in marriage and family therapy at Abilene Christian, and a wonderful experience there, wonderful experience at Harding as well. Um, and, uh, and then spent seven years doing a variety of different, um, from uh, therapy in a church setting to therapy in a nonprofit <laughs> setting, got licensed as a therapist, and had always wanted to go further. And uh, one day, my wife, Gail, said, well, I guess if you want to go for a PhD, you might as well do it now. I didn't wait for her to say it twice. I quickly <laughs> applied to the University of Minnesota, um, and by God's grace, got in to that school and uh, spent four years there uh, getting a PhD in marriage and family therapy. And then in 2010, was fortunate to land a position in the psychology department at Lipscomb and have been there ever since. Uh, and it's been a delight. Um, President Lowry, uh, in my second year, I don't know if he has a magic wand or what, but he said, there's going to be a marriage and family therapy program. Mm, wonder who can do this. And I was the only one who could do it at the university, given my training. So guess who got to do it? 
Um, and it's been uh, it's been an incredible journey. So it's it's a real privilege to get to do the kind of work that I do. Um, I had a moment at the University of Minnesota in my second year. I was coming into the St. Paul campus late, as usual, uh, to my research meeting, and it was it was a winter day. It was cold, uh, and I got to the stairwell in McNeil Hall and started walking up the stairwell and just thinking, I I think I'm going to be five minutes late. This is terrible. Dr. Doherty is going to give me the eye. And I, you don't want the eye from Dr. Doherty. Um, and, and, and everyone else will already be there. And then I had this moment on the stairs of the grand stairwell of McNeil Hall. It was not an audible voice, but it was, uh, it was, <clears throat> it was the feeling that had words attached to it that were not audible. And it was, Chris, the purpose of your life is to heal your own wounds and to help other people do the same. And I thought, this is a weird time for revelation. I'm late <laughs> for a meeting. Um, that was in 2007. That moment on that stairwell at that unusual time was really a description of what I was already doing. But it was a north star for what I must do the rest of my life. And any chance I get to do a little bit of that, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being obedient to God and fulfilling my purpose. So thank you for inviting me to uh, get to fulfill my purpose a little bit here. Um, depression is uh, a mental, mental health condition that is kind of a complicated thing um, because we don't really know 100% how it develops. We, we know some things about it, uh, and there are some theories that it's, it's genetic. You, you, you have a gene genetic predisposition, you're going to get it or you won't, but that's not really true. Um, it's, there, there's genetic contributions to it. Um, some other thoughts are, if you always have negative thoughts, you're going to think yourself into depression, and then you end up there. And, that, and there's some evidence to suggest that contributes as well. Um, some people think there's life stages that people will have depression. That one's actually not true at all. There, there are no life stages where you'll go through depression. Um, you could go through depression at any life stage, um, but there's not one that, that says you will. Um, and there's some other uh, theories about learned uh, depression as a behavioral thing, a learned helplessness, and there is some evidence to suggest that contributes. Um, and then, you know, there's, uh, if you run it through the lens of spiritual warfare, is Satan attacking? Um, it's a little hard for science to have anything to say about that, but that doesn't make it untrue. It just makes, means science doesn't have good enough tools to detect things in the spiritual world. Um, my own sense is Satan will attack you anywhere he can. 
and and if he finds a weakness, we'll seek to exploit that in any way possible. Um, so I put on, I put on my Christian hat, my Christian scientist hat, um, which I guess is a funny looking hat, but. Um, there's all kinds of ways that depression could develop. But let's, let's figure out what it is and maybe what it isn't so we can make some distinctions. So from the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, there's, they call it the Bible of Mental Disorders, which sounds like the worst Bible ever. <laughs> Who wants to read a Bible or it's just a list of all the horrible things that could happen in your life? Um, but from the DSM, there are uh, ten kind of ten symptoms of depression that could happen. If there are five of these ten, any five of these ten, then uh, for two weeks or longer, then the diagnosis of depression can be given. Um, and this first one has to be there. Uh, feelings of hopelessness uh, or or deep pessimism. Number two, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, or helplessness. Number three, uh, irritability and restlessness. Uh, four, uh, loss of interest in activities or hobbies that were once pleasurable, the things that you love to do. Um, it's not that you can't do them anymore, it's, it's you used to want to do them and, and you don't want to anymore. Um, number five, fatigue or decreased energy. And this is a uh, above and beyond what would be expected. Um, number six, uh, difficulty concentrating, remembering details, and making uh, decisions. Um, number seven, uh, insomnia uh, or w waking up too early in the morning or not being able to go to sleep. Or just sleeping all a lot of the time, most of the day. Uh, number eight, eating too much or eating too little. And again, this isn't uh, it happening once. This is a, a pattern over a couple of weeks or more. Um, thoughts of suicide or suicide attempt. Number ten. Uh, persistent aches and pains, headaches, cramps, digestive problems that do not get better, even when you treat those problems. So in a sense, there's, there's ways um, in which your body is telling you something is not right. In um, older populations, um, sometimes... The, uh, the feeling of sadness is not actually there, but in its place is excessive tiredness and the inability to sleep, or being grumpy or irritable. So, um, usually we think of depression as this intense sadness, and, and oftentimes it is, but the way that it shows up, interestingly, in... Um, Adolescent and younger boys, and in the older population, it could be irritability uh, and grumpiness. Uh, and, and so sometimes there can be a depression present, and it's hidden 
because there isn't any, uh, there's no showing of sadness. There's no, and maybe not even the feeling of sadness, but it's this elevated grumpiness above and beyond the normal level of grumpiness that you might have. So you don't look around the room and go, oh, you're grumpy, I know you're depressed. That might just be baseline for that person, and that's fine. Um, Could you stop talking about me? <laughs> I wasn't going to name names. <laughs> um, so I want to make some distinctions. That's a, that's a pretty stout list. Um, and, and again, it's five of those for two weeks uh, or longer. And this could be something you're like, I'm going to think about myself, kind of think about my own situation. Are these present? Um, but you might also pay attention to uh, someone you love and care about, who you're close with, and just keep an eye out and, and see if they might be experiencing these things as well, watching out for each other. Depression is not the following. Uh, depression is not a normal part of aging. There's a story out there that got started somewhere and it got some wheels on it and got moving that uh, at a certain age, there's in this inevitable depression that's going to happen. Um, let me give you the facts on that. Um, people uh, 65 and older have depression rates lower than the average population, not higher. Average through the whole population is 8%. Um, which, from some measures, that's like that's a lot of people, but it's also 92% are not depressed. Um, 65 and older, depending on the study you look at, the rate of depression is between 1 and 5%. So actually getting older is a buffer against depression. So good news, <laughs> right? Um, Unless you're Benjamin Button, we're all getting older, right? Uh, so that, that's, that's the good news of the day. Uh, now, there's a couple caveats on that, and, and I want to uh, make this point. Um, older population who require home health care, the rate is 13.5%, so it's higher. Now, it's probably not because they're home health care workers are that bad. Um, it's probably because of the reason that they need home health workers. Um, there, there's significant losses have happened and so forth. Um, the depression rate for an older population who are um, hospital patients, so you know now they're going in for major surgery or there's an ongoing chronic uh, care issue where they have to be repeatedly going to the hospital. Um, that rate is 11.5%. So there's an intersection between depression and health uh, that's important to, uh, to consider. But on average, uh, getting older uh, makes you stronger against depression. And that, that's pretty good news. Uh, depression is not a bad day. All of us have had bad days. Things did not go our way. Um, we, we heard bad news about something, and it really got us down. And you have, a, you have that deep 
sadness for that moment. Um, but by definition, it's impossible to be depressed in one day. It's just a bad day. And I think that's a good thing that you can tell yourself if you're having one of those days, just contain it. Uh, this might just be a bad day. And build a wall around that day, have the day, and then be done with that day and move on. Um, depression is not permanent. Uh, it, so when we think about the world of disorders and diseases and things like that, one of the questions we have to ask is, if I have this, do I have it forever? And there are some health conditions that, yes, once you have that, we haven't figured out how to cure it yet. And so you have it, you have it forever. And some of them are, you have it, and it could go away. And depression is one of those things that's very treatable. It can go away. Uh, and actually, the research shows that depression does go away on its own. But with treatment, it goes away a lot faster. So... Uh, on average, uh, a, an episode of depression will, will last nine months. Well, that's a long time to feel lousy, but it'll go away on its own. Uh, with treatment, it can be a matter of weeks. So uh, if you find yourself in that condition, you know, seek treatment. You don't want to burn through nine months of feeling lousy. Um, <clears throat> There are some medications where the side effects uh, mimic the symptoms of depression. And there's so many different medications. Um, that's something you'd really want to talk to your prescribing physician. Um, but one of the things they say, if you have five or more medications that you take, um, there's an elevated risk for side effects that look like depression. And so that's a pretty important conversation to have with your doctor, especially if you have five or more, or if there is a specific medication that um, mimics depression, um, because the depression treatments probably won't work if the cause is a medication. And then that's really up to your physician to help you figure out what, what kind of adjustments to make there. Um, and depression is not grief. Uh, I want to make that distinction, too, um, because sometimes they feel very similar. Um, grief is that emotional response that we have to losing something that was really special, really important, or really meaningful to us. And that could be some, a friend, a family member, someone who died. And... We're, we're sad. I mean, of course, we're grieving. We, we lost that important person. Um, but that is, that is grief, and it is heavy, and it is challenging, and it is difficult. Uh, grief is a very strange friend um, that you've got to figure out how is this thing a friend, because uh, it doesn't feel very friendly. Um, but grief is pretty loyal and will be there with you. Um, but it's not, it's not depression. Um, now, here's some things that 
grief could be the response to these things. Uh, it could be loss of a loved one, like I said. It could be loss of an ability to do what used to come very easy. And so I used to be able to do this, and now I can't do this. Um, I, I, I'm remembering the response my grandmother had uh, when my, my mother said, you can no longer drive. That was a moment uh, in our family history. Uh, but it came after the third time where she had been out driving, got disoriented, and lost in her hometown, um, places she had been over and over and over and over again. She couldn't recognize those places anymore. And so now it became dangerous. It was the right thing to do, but she went from, I can go anywhere I want, to now I need someone to take me there. And that was a really significant loss for her. Um, and she had to go through the process of grief, losing that autonomy that she had. And she did, but that was not depression. Um, <clears throat> declines in health. Uh, ability to walk that far or do that thing or be out for this long or whatever it is. I feel pain where I used to not feel pain. Um, I now have to take these medications or this person has to do this thing for me that I used to easily do for myself. Um, these sorts of losses, it doesn't mean you're going to grieve, but it is an opportunity that grief might show up. Um, uncertainty about finances. Um, how, how am I going to pay for the things that I need uh, and so forth? Or insecurity about... Um, if I can't live on my own, what am I going to do? And not having a ready answer to that question uh, can be experienced as a loss and, and grief could show up. Um, some people, there's a lot of metaphors for grief, um, especially when it's loss of a loved one. Uh, one. One person said grief is like this. Grief is the emptiness where love exists but no longer has anywhere to go. And so it stays. Um, and it's meant to go out, but it stays put. Um, and it's a, it's a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden to bear. Um, but what it also means is there was love. And it doesn't mean there was love. It means there still is love. And... Um, thinking about grief in these ways, um, moving toward reframing it in some sort of um, either positive way uh, or meaningful way um, it, it is important because, like I said, grief is a friend, but a very unusual friend, very loyal to you, but doesn't feel good at the outset. Um, but what grief often is trying to do is convince you to move toward acceptance. When you've lost something that cannot be recovered, the move toward acceptance is the right move. But we, like, well, I didn't choose this. Almost never is the case that you do. 
Um, but grief says, let's move toward acceptance. And you don't want to. You don't want to do that. But eventually, grief is very persuasive uh, and, and, and will start to make sense over time. All right, I'm watching my clock here. Um, Okay, so uh, I want to move past that distinction between grief and depression. They're different things. Um, And it would be good to know what is it that I'm experiencing in this moment. Am I depressed or am I grieving? So let's move on to some risk factors. So one resilience factor we learned is Getting older is resistance to depression. That's great news. Um, But here are some risk factors. Uh, Women experience depression at higher rates than men, and that's across the board from adolescence uh, at every stage of life. Um, Being single or widowed is is an increased uh, risk factor. Uh, low income or financial uncertainty, um, low social support, um, problem drinking, problem drug use, uh, abusing prescription medications, things like that are an elevated risk. Um, if there's a history of depression in the family, um, then research shows there's an elevated risk of depression. And then, uh, like we've talked about before, there's an intersection of mental health and physical health uh, with multiple, uh, a significant or multiple health problems comes the increased chance of depression. Um, So the list that I found that was probably the most challenging was um, cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, diabetes, and um, there's a thing called vascular depression. It's when your uh, blood vessels stiffen. Um, that uh, it, it's actually, it is depression, but it's, it's caused specifically by that physical condition. Uh, and so that's something that you would want to talk to your doctor about and ask about. You'll be very impressive to your doctor if you say, is this vascular depression? (laughs) Um, Which may send them looking in the internet. Um, um, So when I say risk factor, I want to be very clear. None of these determine depression. Oh, no, I I have one of these. I have heart disease, therefore I'm going to have depression. That's not the case. That's not the case. It just, it, it bumps the risk up a little. And um, my own theory is um, that those, those health conditions uh, invite questions of the thing that we're all concerned about in a variety of ways is when we die. When are we going to die? Um, and there's, there's an anxiety associated with that uh, that is human across generations, across history. 
Um, and those sort of health conditions invite those questions. So, in the last few minutes, I think we're out at a quarter till. Okay. In the last few minutes, how do I protect myself against this thing? Uh, I don't want depression. Uh, I don't want people I love to have depression. How do I, how do I make sure I don't get this thing? Um, some of these things may sound very um, basic. Um, it's because they're pretty basic. Uh, but they're important to keep doing. Um, maintaining a routine. Uh, having some sense of when I get up in the morning, I know the things that will happen in the day. Is it 100% certain those things will happen in the day? Of course not. Um, but knowing I'm, I'm getting up, here are the things I'm doing, and if I do these things, I've accomplished those things. Um, if I don't, that's okay, but I had something to do. Um, what that reinforces is um, my life is meaningful. My life is purposeful. God has a plan for me here. I'm, I still matter, uh, and everybody wants to matter. And so having that routine, and even if it's I know what I'm going to eat, I know who I'm going to eat with, or basic things, um, that really, really helps. Uh, waking up to 12 or 16 or 18 hours of, of unknown, there's only a very few people that like that. Now, those people are, are, are special people. Uh, they're pretty adventurous. They like that ambiguity, um, but that's not most people. Uh, most people want to wake up, know their day. Okay, so that's a pretty simple one. Um, for the most part, um, stay within the familiar and have a little adventure. Okay? So do things you know to do, but have a little bit of adventure. But when you have that adventure, uh, plan it uh, with people. Uh, be with adventurer, co-adventurers, okay? Um, adventuring on your own uh, can be good, but it's better with more. It's, it's better with numbers. Um, staying in continued contact with the people that you love and the people that love you. And this is meeting for coffee, this is phone conversations, this is whatever way it is that you're accustomed to communicating. Um, if you want to communicate with grandchildren, you might have to learn FaceTime and do that. Uh, you may already know how to do that. Um, uh, or text, uh, things like that. But those, those sorts of connections just give you a little dose of, that's pretty special, this is good. I love them. They love me. It wasn't in question, but I got... It's, it's one thing to know somebody loves you. It's another thing to be loved. And, uh, and nurturing those relationships uh, on a daily basis, even in small doses, is so, so powerful. Um, and I don't know about you, but every day I need reminders that I'm special. We're like, well, Chris, you got a PhD from the university. Aren't you special enough? Like, I, no, I need it every day. Um, 
And I, I, don't, I'm, I, I turned 50 years old uh, in six weeks. And... Um, so, <laughs> I know, so I'm boasting about my youth, I know. Well, we didn't know if you were bragging or complaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's what I've, here's what I've learned. I'm, I'm approaching five decades of needing to know regularly that I'm special and really enjoying when I tell someone else I love them, it, seeing the response. I don't imagine that I'm going to outgrow that. I, I probably won't outgrow that. It's like, oh, now I'm 60. Now I don't need to know. Or I'm 65 and I've, I've had enough love. I don't need any more. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. And so um, stay connected with people that you love. Have at least six people that if you do start to feel down or a significant loss does happen, that you can just tell them. And these are people that uh, are people in relationship with you that, is, that are strong enough that when they hear that, they can hold part of that suffering with you. And so you're suffering... You share it. A suffering shared is a suffering divided. A joy shared is a joy multiplied. Um, and so having six, uh, at least six people, because they're not all going to be available at the same time, so you need at least six. Um, and they're all going to give you different, different ways of comfort, right? Uh, if I tell Judith this, I know I'm going to hear this, and I need to hear that, but she's not going to tell me this, this, and this. I need Sam because I know Sam's going to listen and not say anything, and I kind of need somebody to just to listen and not say anything. So you, you, need, their, you need at least six because they'll be available, but they're also going to do a different thing for you. And of course, what you want to be is one of those six people for someone else. Um, when it hurts, what's the, what's the safety net I fall into? And it's, it's people. Um, I feel like I need to tell Nan this, because I don't know if she knows, I need to eat healthy. <laughs> I think she needs to eat. <laughs> Um, of course, I'm teasing you, Nan. I, 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 I know that you eat healthy. Um, and I know you, it. I don't always do it. You, <laughs> you know how to eat healthy. Okay, let's say that. Um, uh, healthy eating is really important. Uh, exercise at, at whatever level your body allows it. Uh, and that may be some pretty robust exercise, and that may be... That may be uh, 20 minutes in the garden. That may be a walk uh, down the block. What, whatever you can do, uh, if this is the level where you get, you'll get hurt doing it, then do it at this level. Um, and, uh, and that is something often you can do with another person. So then there's conversation that happens and sharing and things like that. Um, when a major change is going to happen, 
the more planning you can do, you can't always do this, I know, but the more planning you can do, the better. Um, major changes come uh, often with retirement, uh, with moving, maybe downsizing from a larger house to a smaller house. Um, it could, and, you know, in when, when some functioning declines, going from driving to not driving. If you plan that type of thing, all those, and, and start mentally, if you're rehearsing those things in your mind before you actually have to do them, the, the jolt you'll feel when it actually happens is a lot less. And so be planning on those. Um, uh, you may be the person who says, I'm going to drive forever. And it's possible that you are that person because there are people who can do that. Um, but maybe not. Reserve a little part of your brain. And if that, it probably won't happen, but if that happens, here's what I would do. That kind of thing. Um, so two last things. One is... Um, if you do find yourself depressed or suspect that you have depression, um, go to your doctor, go to a therapist, and uh, talk through it and, and get a diagnosis. And they may say, no, you don't have depression. This is what it is. And this is what to do. In um, cases of severe depression, medication is helpful. Uh, the research shows the more severe the depression the more likely that medication will help. Uh, in those cases, uh, medication and talk therapy are the best combination to resolve that depression as fast as possible. So right here is, this is my uh, depression resistance kit. Um, it's a Bible that most mornings I will read something out of this. Um, if I had two chapters to read, I would probably read Romans 7 and Romans 8. I would read them together because if you're at the end of Romans 7, it, it's a, it feels a little lacking. Um, but Romans 8 is, is maybe the most triumphant chapter in Scripture uh, and the most affirming. Um, it's debatable, sure, but that's my go-to. Um, uh, I'm not scratching the surface of what's in this book yet, but I'm trying to. There's a lot here. So that's number one. Number two is a journal. I write almost every day. Um, I probably have 150 of these in my basement, uh, and they're treasures that I hope no one ever reads. Um, <laughs> Because sometimes I'm a potty mouth in here. I'm just saying. I, it's unrestricted, but it is pretty much me telling God where I'm at and begging for mercy. And it's, it's raw and unedited, and you can't look at it. Um, and this, um, every person I know and love is listed in this. Um, these are my prayer cards. Uh, this, so this is my covenant group of teenagers that I am working with this year. Um, most days, 
I pray through this list and ask God to be with the people that I love, to um, carry them through. Um, but I also have uh, a breath prayer that I pray every day where I breathe in ten times, breathe out. Well, I breathe in and then breathe out. I don't breathe in ten times in a row. That would be hard. I breathe in and breathe out. I breathe in something of God that I want, wisdom, and I exhale the foolishness out of me. Um, ten isn't enough, but that's what I do. Um, I have a page of gratitude, the things that I'm grateful for every single day. Um, freedom from sin, my wife, my children. Um, I have to write, I have to write these words. There is reason for joy. And then I got to go find it. Um, if I don't, I forget, I forget there's reason for joy sometimes. So I have to tell myself this. Um, so, um, Bible, prayer, journal. That is my depression resistance kit that, that I use, and I find it has been very helpful for me. I've taken up four of your minutes. I apologize for that. But it's actually about two minutes fast. So we're I've taken two of your minutes. Thank you so much for letting me come and do this. Do you have a question? No, I have a question, but I just wanted to give out a tip. I do a lot of reading and for a lot of brain. You know, it, uh, if you just put a smile, you can try this. It really does work. So I have a, a caregiver friend for her husband in Missouri, and she was telling me about this also. She goes, if you put a smile on your face, Debbie, for 30 seconds, it tricks the brain into feelings of happiness and releases endorphins. So, but you have to keep it on there for 30 seconds. I, I saw, so I was in Kroger yesterday, and I saw uh, two people who I determined, looking at them, were probably my parents' age. Um, and the, the woman, and I, they were not a couple. It was a man and a woman. They were not a couple. And the, the woman said, I came in mid-conversation. She said, with a smile on her face, I'm 78 years old to this man. And kind of like, and I earned it. Uh, <laughs> and he looks at her, he said, that ain't nothing. Uh, so I figured him to be at least 79. <laughs> and, um, and then she said, and she still got the smile on her face, I cherish every last day that I get. Wow. And he said, it's really nice to see you. And she said, nice to see you too. And it was this sweet, I don't, I don't know if they were friends, if they meet each other at Kroger every Thursday, I don't know. <laughs> But it was so sweet, and they were smiling, both of them, the whole time. So they tricked their brains there, at least right there in Kroger. Anyway, thank you very much. Okay, next week we have Sue Bonner and her daughter uh, Deanna Smith are going to talk about life changes when you give up your home in Memphis and move to Nashville, live with your daughter, so <laughs> and other and other interesting things. So, uh, and the week after that, we're going to have Phil Stinson talking about taxes. So.
He's going to do it. He's going to give us the good news about that.